Uh, welcome once again uh, to our church. We're going to go into God's Word now. And if you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to Psalm 78 as we transition from our serving series to our missions um, series. We're going to have a whole month of missions, and I'm really excited for this upcoming month. And today we're going to transition um, in one sermon talking about serving and also talk about reaching the next generation and reaching the next generation with faith. And so Psalm 78 is going to help us to do that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 78 together. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. It's living and active. It's for you and me. And this is how it goes. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Passing our faith to our children is what we're going to talk about today, the next generation um, of believers in our midst and Barna uh, Group did a study on parents. They asked parents, what's your primary feeling when it comes to thinking about giving your faith to your children? And the word that they came up with that most parents said was concerned, worried. Parents are concerned about their children coming to the faith. And as a parent, I understand. And if you're a parent in this room, you understand. We're all concerned about the next generation and their ability to uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that makes us easy targets for guilt. And that makes us easy targets for the devil to work um, guilt in us and shame. But uh, moms and dads today, the word of the Lord has something for you. And he has an encouragement to us. And today in Psalm 78, he grounds our hearts in scripture to teach us how to pass the faith onto the next generation. And as we look at Psalm 78, I want to tell you that today it's going to feel a little bit more like a seminar then it's going to feel like a sermon because there's a lot of info here. And I hope um, that even though it's kind of more seminary, that it still leads us to worship Jesus in the end. But there are three things I see in Psalm 78 that are important for us to pass unto the next generation. And if you're not a parent here, this is still incumbent upon you to listen because today we all gather together to pass the faith unto the next generation. And here are the three things that I see in this passage. I see that it's important for us to pass on the truth of God to the next generation. It's important for us to pass on the wisdom and hope of God to the next generation. And finally, to pass on the wonder of God to the next generation. Psalm 78 tells us that we're supposed to tell them about the truth of God, about who he is and the things that we should know about him. But also, secondly, we should pass it on as wisdom, something usable for them, for their life, because our lives are complex and they're becoming more and more complex as the generations go on. And lastly, none of it's going to matter 
unless we're able to pass on the wonder of God to them? Why should they care about the truth of God and the wisdom of God if they're not captured by the wonder of who he is? Those are the things I see in this passage and I want to relay to you. So would you pray for the Holy Spirit's help with me as we pray for the next generation? Father, we come to you and honestly, we are concerned. Um, as parents, we are concerned. As, teacher, as I talk to the teachers of the youth groups, of Resurgence and FFM and all the children's ministries, I know that especially as the children get older, there is a concern. But Father, I pray, gather our hearts, ground them in your word. No amount of anxiety and worry will bear any fruit, but when we hear your word and receive it, there is fruit a hundredfold. So do that in our midst today. We believe you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see um, in our passage that if we are to pass our faith to the next generation, we have to pass on the truth of God. But before we get into that, maybe it's important for us to talk about, is it possible for us to pass the faith to our kids anyway? You know, in youth group, you hear a lot that the youth group pastors and teachers tell their kids that it's not good enough that your mom and dad believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you yourself have to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you are going to be saved. And I believe that's 100% true, that each child has to come to faith in Jesus Christ in and of their own soul and their heart, that there is an individual work that God has to do in each child. And yet, when you look at scripture, you can't get away from the teaching and the fact that, especially in the Old Testament, you can't get away from the fact that he is telling us that our faith, parents, moms and dads, that our faith is transmissible to the next generation. Don't you see that over and over again in scripture? Fathers must give their faith to their children. Don't you see the transmissibility of faith in scripture? Now, how do you how do you bring those two things together? They themselves have to come to faith, but we are supposed to give them faith. How does that work? I'm not exactly sure. I think there's a mystery to that, but I know that both things are in scripture and that we as parents are called to transmit our faith to the next generation. But if we are to do that, we have to listen to verse one. He says to us, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your heart to me. Incline your ear to me. He says, you have to listen to me. And in a passage that's talking about the next generation, you would think that he's talking to the kids. But he's not. He's talking to the adults. He's saying, adults, moms and dads, you have to incline your ear to me if you want to do this. You see, the word first has to come to us. And it's not talking about a kind of teaching, some word that the Bible has for you that's interesting. You see, Hebrew wisdom doesn't care about interesting. Hebrew wisdom doesn't care about intellectual discussion. The Greeks love that. But the Hebrews didn't care about that. If it didn't change the way that you lived, if it didn't impact the way that you walk, they didn't even call it wisdom. So when it says, incline your ear, it's talking about a kind of wisdom that the Bible has for you that's going to change the way that you, mom, the way you, dad, live. Incline your ear to me. You have to first hear from me. And let's read from verse 2 to 3. This is what he says. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from our children, from their children. 
but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders of what he has done. I will open my mouth and tell the next generation about the truths of God. There is this decided commitment to pass on the truths of God. And that's the call of the Christian parent, Christian mom, Christian dad. That is the call for us. We all are varying spiritual states, right? We've all been uh, discipled at varying degrees. We're all different places in our spiritual lives. But whatever you have received from the Lord, the call is we are to give it to our children. That's the call here. It is passable, and we are not only uh, told that it's designed to be passed, but we are commanded to pass it on to our children. Now, how do we do that? That's the kind of crux of the sermon, is how do we do that? Well, um, I think the first thing to say, and we have to remember this because it's probably the most important thing, is that faith in our children is something that the Lord does. Faith in the children is something that the Lord creates in them. As he says, let there be light inside of the child, there is light. And so even though the call is to transmit our faith, it's possible that they have faith. I was the first Christian in my household. My parents were atheists. My whole household was atheist. And I still came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible that the Lord does this in, in us. But it's clear when you look at studies, that there is a definite relationship between how a parent does faith and the ability for a child to keep the faith. Let me say that again. There's a relationship between how mom and dad does faith and how uh, likely it is for the child to keep their faith. This week, I read a bunch of longitudinal studies um, that study kids who go through high school and through college and into young adulthood. And they studied why some kids hang on to their faith and some kids drop their faith. And again, going back to it's God who does this, but yet for our part in transmitting the faith, it's important for us to learn from our history and learn from the past. In our Psalm today, he says, we need to learn and teach so that they are not like the previous generations. And so we need to study the previous generations. And what these studies found are interesting. And I want to share some of them with you. Why do some people hold on to their faith and some do not? Um, I've also talked to some youth pastors this week and parents with adult children and try to learn from them. And this is kind of what I found from especially the longitudinal studies that I read. Some interesting things to start off with. Things that don't matter, that don't seem to have any impact on a child holding on to their faith. Number one, it doesn't seem to matter if they go to college, the military, or directly to work. The effects of their college decision or their going to the military, it doesn't have any impact on whether they hang on to the faith or not. It seems to be pretty flat across the board. So whether they decide to go to the Navy or decide to go to college or go straight to work, Maintaining a faith doesn't really seem to have an impact. It's still the same. One third of those who are believers in youth group make it through to young adulthood with that faith. One third. One out of every three. So that means that two thirds of students who are here today um, statistically will not hang on to their faith. If you're here, you're a college student. If you're a high school grad here for the first time, welcome. But I want to say to you, do not become a statistic. Do not become one of these statistics. Hang on to the Lord. He's worthy. It doesn't matter what they decide to do. 
It seems like it's the same. The second thing that doesn't seem to matter in the studies is it doesn't matter whether they come from a big church with a lot of resources or they come from a small church with a tiny youth group. The numbers are the same, one-third across the board. And the third thing that doesn't matter, it seems from the longitudinal studies, which I found to be very uh, encouraging, is that it doesn't matter if they have a cultural and linguistic barrier between them and their parents. Now, I thought that that was very encouraging, especially for many people who come from the immigrant context. We feel very insecure about the fact that sometimes parent and child cannot communicate the way that we want to. But studies show that that actually isn't a major hindrance to them carrying the faith. So those three things don't matter. So what does matter? It seems that what does matter is how they do faith in the church and at home. Um, this is what I found, that when parents consistently go to church and bring their, parent, uh, bring their kids to church, it has a positive impact on the kids, but not as much as you would think. Bringing your kids to church has a positive impact on the kid, but not as much as you would think. Uh, where it jumps in impact is when the parents serve hard in the church, and especially when they serve in the youth ministries. Uh, when they see their parents serving the church, that seems to have a significant impact on the sustainability of their faith. And the second part of that is that the surveys they ask, did you enjoy church? Do you enjoy church and do you have friends at church? And that seems to make a big difference on the faith of adolescents. So when parents go to church consistently, they serve church and they love their church, that makes a difference on their kids' faith. Kind of makes sense, right? Now, on the other hand, there are consistent churchgoers who have a negative impact on their kids' faith. This I thought was interesting. And the negative impact is this. Those who go to church consistently with their kids but do not enjoy their church experience. Those who go to church but go to church out of obligation or go home and talk negatively about the church and its leaders, they tend to have a negative impact on the kids' faith, um, according to the longitudinal studies. I think that makes sense. Doesn't it make sense to you? When kids see their mom and dad, they only go to church out of obligation because they have to. And then they come home and then they don't seem to enjoy church at all. They're wondering, why should I go? Why should I do what my parents don't even like? And so it seems that how you, it's not really church attendance. It's almost like going to church regularly is just stepping up to the plate. And then from there, whether you serve and you love the church, or you don't enjoy your church and you're going out of obligation, it seems like that's where it kind of spreads, according to the studies. Now, whether you care about statistical studies or not, it's important for us to understand that the Bible calls us to care about passing the faith to the next generation. The Bible says in verse 5 of Psalm 78, he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. It's something that is commanded of us. And then in verse uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 19, you see just how comprehensive we're supposed to be with this with our children. In verse 18, it says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. 
How I interpret that for my life is you have to talk about it to your daughters when you're sitting in your living room, when you're walking them to school, when you lie them down to go to bed, and when you rise together and pray before school. Idea is you have to surround, you're called to surround your children with the passing on of the truth of God. That's the call. And parents, that is our call. That's what we're called to do. Now, Asaph says something very interesting in this psalm. He says, I will not hide them from my children. I will not hide the truths of God from our children. And you know, I asked this week, why does he even need to say that? Why would we hide something from our kids? Something that is good, something that is from God. We want the best for our kids. We want everything for our kids. Why in the world would a parent want to hide something from their kids if it's good for them? The word of God. And I thought about it. Why did Asaph say that? And I realized, oh, the truth of the matter is we do hide them from our kids. And the reason is because we want the best for them and we want everything for them. And because of the same desire that you would think would give them the truths of God, we actually end up stifling the word of God. This is how it works. You want everything for your kids. You want them to be so well-rounded and you want them to have every experience and every advantage in this world. And so you want to make God a part of their life, but just a part of their life because you want a lot of other things in their life. And when we do that, when we make God a corner of their life, when we make it a slice of the pie, just one of their commitments, whenever you force God into a corner, he does not behave. You know that, right? Whenever you force God into a corner, he does not behave because that defies the definition of what God is. Whenever you pack your kids' lives with commitments that all of the commitments seem to be of equal importance and God is just one of them, what happens is God transforms into religion because God does not live in corners. God does not live in sections of your life. That's not God. That's religion. Only religion fits nicely into a section of your schedule. When we teach God that way, it's important for you to do karate and for you to go to Kumon and whatever, and also to go to youth group. And it's just one of the equally important commitments for our children. What ends up happening is God turns into religion and we do end up hiding God from them in a sense. God does not work that way. God is the umbrella over your child's life, the reason for why they do all things. And when we don't teach it that way, and we make God one of the six commitments that they have in their weekly schedule, then God's truth is hidden. You see, we're trying to give them everything. And I think that that's what unintentionally, mom and dad, unintentionally we do that. We don't mean to but unintentionally we do it because we want everything for them. And so we want him to be in balance. And I remember um, a, a mom came up to me because her son wanted to go into ministry. And she came up to me and she wanted to talk to me. And essentially she said, this is great that he loves God, but could you talk him out of it? <laughs> essentially she said to me, like, I, I'm so glad that he wants to do ministry and I'm so glad that he loves God, but is there a way you could talk to him? Because there's more to this life that I want him to experience than just be in the church. And I understood that. And then she said something that kind of set me back. She said, is there a way that you can teach him to scale back uh, on God? And I thought, what? Scale back on God. 
how would I even tell him to do that without feeling like I'm going to get struck by lightning? (laughs) Scale back on God. As a Christian, it's crazy, right? Hey, but as a parent, I know exactly what she says. I know exactly her heart. I know exactly what she's saying. We want everything for our kids. But mom and dad, having God as the umbrella, having God as the main thing is what your child needs. And by forcing God into a corner of your child's life, it will become religion. And by the time they go through adolescence, they will recognize that it's religion and they will throw it away. Because I don't want religion. Do you? Neither do they. They need a real God who is God over all things, not an activity on a Friday night. We will not hide the truths of God, but pass it along to our children. The transmissibility of our faith is not only possible, but commanded. The truths of God must be passed on. But secondly, not only do we need to give them the the, the truths of God, but we need to give it to them in a way where they can set their hope on this truth. Read verse 7 with me. This is what he says. So that, here's the purpose statement. This is the reason why he's teaching the truths of God to his kids. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. He says, I'm doing this so that they can set their hope in God in this life. This is really important, especially as this generation, Generation Z, and my kids' generation, Generation Alpha, is coming up. They are being hit with so much information all the time that they have no way to process life through a biblical lens. You know, this word hope is a really interesting word here. Set their hope in God. This is not the normal Hebrew word you would use for hope. It's a funny word. It's the word kasal. And the first definition, if you look at its etymology, it means fat, like flabby, chubby, kind of like me, I guess, but uh, like kind of flabby. And that's kind of the first definition. And then the second definition is legs or loins. Isn't that weird? And then the third definition is foolishness, stupidity. And you're like, what does this word mean? And why would you use it here to translate hope? But then the more you think about it, and you reflect on it, and you let that Hebrew word kind of set in, it makes total sense. You see, Asaph, he's looking at the next generation, and he sees them lacking foundations. Their loins, their legs are fat and chubby like little baby legs. And yet they're trying to stand up in a world of adults. He says that he sees the next generation not having foundations, not having what they need to stand up on their own faith. I will not hide the truths of God from my kids because they need to strengthen their loins and stand up within a framework of faith that allows them to go through life and the complexity of life with a coherent biblical worldview. That's one of the things that we need to do as parents is we need to teach them a framework for receiving their life, receiving the complexity of life and filtering it through a biblical lens. I want to read you a quote from Tim Elmore. He wrote a book called Generation Z Unfiltered. I've been studying Generation Z and trying to understand what this generation um, is like. And this is what he said about one of the failures of the church that maybe in the past we need to think about and correct. He said this, Unfortunately, many kids are taught Bible, 
taught the Bible not as the story of reality, but only as a disconnected set of stories, verses, and lessons to be taken randomly at will, distanced from their context, and applied to our lives as we see fit. This moral McNugget approach to reading and teaching scripture not only treats the Bible as something less than it is, but fails to provide the framework, that word is so key, fails to provide the framework of who we are according to God. As a result, robust, framing biblical truths are reduced to virtual post-it notes that decorate a generation whose identities, morality, and purposes are being shaped by culture, not Christ. We're teaching the Bible in kind of a piecemeal Learn this story, learn that story, learn this character, learn that character. And when they hit the world, they're not able to pull it all together when they run into a complex issue. There's no filter for them to understand it. And sometimes we'll come home from church and we'll ask them, what did you learn in Sunday school, honey? And they will repeat to you the story. I learned about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And we're happy if they're able to regurgitate the story back to us. But she's not being taught how to use it. For her life. How do the prophets of Baal, that story, apply to you in middle school? Who are the prophets of Baal for you in the seventh grade? You see, we're not framing it for them, and that's what's making it difficult for them to walk through this world. And Asaph says, My kids have chubby legs, unable to stand in this world. We need to give them frameworks for walking this information through a biblical lens. Let me give you a little bit of an example, something that I'm starting to try with my daughters. Some of you parents know that starting this fall, that New Jersey State has approved of gender fluidity and of LGBTQ curriculum to come through all schools from first grade and up. And I'm preparing my daughters to encounter that. Now, there are a lot of different levels that they need to kind of learn that. My, my daughters are little, six and three. They're going to be seven and four soon, six and three. My three-year-old, Sophia, she can only handle so much. And so um, I'm going to walk her through the story of the creation of Eve. If you ever learned about the story of Eve being created, you know that it's a very special story. Compared to Adam being created, I mean, it's like a whole other thing. Adam is created like this, and then Eve is this whole story, this beautiful story of this creation of woman. And how important, beautiful, powerful this is. I've been priming Sophia, telling her, God made you a girl, and isn't that so special? Isn't that so special that God made you a girl? And she says, yeah, she loves being a girl. She loves being a girl. And I just want to reinforce that and then put it through Genesis 2. Because at that age, all she can receive is God made you, and it's special to be a girl. Being a girl is special, and God made you that way. And it's beautiful and powerful to be a girl. But what am I doing by putting it through Genesis 2? I'm laying down a layer of foundation for her so that later when she encounters that curriculum, she knows that she's a girl because she's created that way. And it's unique and beautiful and powerful to be a girl because God has made her that way. With me, I can do a little bit more. She's six years old. Uh, when she told me about the prophets of Baal, I had a pri private conversation with her, and I asked her about why she 
thinks that the Baals didn't answer the prophets. If you don't know the story, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they come into an encounter and the prophets of Baal cry out to their God, but the gods are not alive. And so they're trying really hard to make the gods respond, but they don't. And so I asked uh, Mia about this and I asked her, why didn't the Baals respond? Why didn't their gods do anything? And she just went, I don't know. I said, was it because the prophets were mean people that they didn't respond? I don't know. And um, I told her, you know, Mia, it's not because the the prophets of uh, Baal were mean people or bad people. It's because Baal wasn't alive. He didn't respond. But God was alive, and he answered Elijah. Okay. And so she kind of walked away. Now, why is that important? Because I know very soon, she's going to ask me the question, Appa, my friends are very nice and my friends are very kind. Why are they not saved? My friends are very nice. My friends are very kind. They're nice friends. Why are they not saved? I'm hoping to build a filter through which she can stand against her own question. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to build frameworks for our children. Not just disjointed Bible stories, but Asaph says, I will give them for their flabby legs a foundation of God's truth used in wisdom for them to be able to stand in this world. This is so important, moms and dads, for us to do this for our children, especially Generation Z and Generation Alpha. They're living, growing up in an ocean of information, and we need to let them know what it is to be human. And I know that seems basic, but that is the battle right now. What does it mean to be a human being? Created, fallen, redeemed, purposed. We need to be able to give them this so that a 17-year-old girl in college can recognize what's counterfeit love. And she knows this 17-year-old boy is not giving me true love, but this is counterfeit love because he's trying to get me in bed. Does she have a framework for that? Asaph says, I will give them the framework. I will give them the legs that they need to stand And when we do that, ultimately what it does is we give them more space as they grow up to make more sense of God so that they can continue to love God. You see, sometimes college students and college students here, you know what this feels like. You've learned a faith that you have not been able to work out and you hit college and you don't know how to stand up in your faith. And you're encountering all of these different things and it's shameful because you feel like your faith is so small and feeble because you cannot answer the questions that you are getting in your philosophy class, that you are getting in your dorm rooms, and you don't have a framework for filtering this through. So it's like a kid who learns karate growing up, gets in a street fight, gets beaten up, and he says, karate is stupid. But Paul knows that if we're able to give them wisdom and knowledge in this, that they're able to abound in love more and more. Let me show you this in Philippians 1. This is what he says. In Philippians 1.9, this is what Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Ultimately, that's what I want, that you have more and more space in your mind and heart to love God more and more and more. But this is how. With knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's not just about teaching them disjointed Bible studies. Now, at a certain age when they're young, it's important for them to absorb, right? They're like sponges. But then as they come out of elementary school, 
We need to start to frame it for them so that they may approve what is excellent and good. Paul knows that if we don't do that for them, then their love, ability to love God will be capped. They will be capped because they won't be able to speak about their faith in a way that makes sense so that they cannot love God. We need to give them frameworks for a complexifying world in their life so that they may set their hope in God when they get older. Not flabby legs, but sturdy legs of biblical foundation. Now, I know that parents, that's intimidating when you hear that. But um, I just want to encourage you that James tells us that parents, when you lack wisdom and you pray, he will give you wisdom. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And your father, your dad, is the father of lights with no variation and change. And when you ask, he's able to give you wisdom when you ask him. Do not try to parent without prayer. Uh, We need to pray and he will give us wisdom. But secondly, I want to give you a podcast recommendation because I realize I've been giving book recommendations and most people don't read it. So I know you guys listen to podcasts. So let me give you a podcast recommendation. A podcast recommendation I have for you is a podcast called Let's Parent on Purpose. Let's Parent on Purpose with Jay Holland. It's a very good podcast that I've been listening to. And um, it lays out a lot of things. If you have adult children, there's episodes on that. If you have boys, girls, everything. Let's Parent on Purpose. Maybe you could write it down and listen to it because it is very helpful. Now, before I close, I want to address the non-parents in this room. You don't know how important you are. You don't know how important you are to this whole thing. If you look at Psalm 78, he's talking not just about parents, but he's talking broadly about raising up the next generation of Christians. And if you're a non-parent in this room, you are included in this, and you don't know how critical you are. In the studies that I read this year, uh, in this week, there's this big emphasis on something called satellite adults. And satellite adults are the adults in a young Christian's life who are not mom and dad but maybe a a Bible study teacher, a a pastor, a mentor, an older brother or sister in the church. They're called satellite parents. And they're so important for the faith. And I just realized, wow, I really have to pray more about having more satellite adults around our children of the next generation. Think about it. When you were 16 years old and you had an issue, did you want to go ask your dad about it right away? But what if you had an older brother, an older sister, who you knew would not judge you if you asked, who you knew would be there to text with you. And here's the amazing stat that I learned this week for everyone who's not uh, a parent. For every uh, young Christian, if they have three, I call this the rule of three, if they have three satellite adults in their life growing up through adolescence, then they are three times more likely to have a thriving Christianity into adulthood. Isn't that amazing? If they have three people, they could call an older brother, a Bible study teacher, a pastor who loves them. If they have three people like that, then they are three times more likely to have a thriving faith as an adult. Non-parents in this room, young adults, older adults, everyone, we need you. Mosaic's parents, we need you. Won't you pray about serving in education? Won't you pray about mentoring one of our children? We need you so bad. We really need you to come on this journey with us and establish the testimony of God in our children. 
help them to build these frameworks for when they go to college. And lastly, I want to close with this. None of this will matter unless we're able to recapture as parents, recapture our wonder of God. Moms and dads, you can't walk away today with just a strategy. It's not going to work. If you walk away today with merely a strategy of building frameworks and passing truth, it's not going to work because you know that no matter how hard you try, your kids are going to know. Your kids are going to know exactly what's in your heart. You know, kids are so perceptive. You know, Sophia's three years old. And um, if I raise my voice a little bit, she comes running into the kitchen and says, Appa, you're being mean to Oma, right? And I said, no, I'm not. I was just saying what somebody else said, right? So perceptive, three years old. Our kids know, right? Our kids know what's really in our hearts. Your kids know what your wonder is. They say, they dragged me to church. But when I became a junior in high school, I found out that mom and dad, their true wonder is me going to college. That's what captured their imagination. That's what they really cared about. They told me about the Bible, but I soon found out that their true wonder is that I be rich. They're going to find out. How long can you stay hidden from your kids? Sophia's three years old. You cannot hide from a teenager. In seminary, I found out, as they taught us, that your congregation is not going to remember any of your sermons. It was a very discouraging blow to me as I sat in, in seminary class studying so hard. And they're like, 10 years of preaching, your people are not going to remember anything you said. But they will remember what you were passionate about. They will remember what you were passionate about. And when you are done with the church, they will be left behind with your passion. It's exactly the same with our kids. They're not going to remember everything you told them. But the things that you are passionate about, genuinely... They will know. It's like an iron. You can repetitively stick a cold iron onto their arm over and over again. And you might leave a slight impression. But heat it up with passion. And it will leave a lasting impression. They know. They know what your wonder is, mom and dad. Youth group teacher, if you are a Sunday school teacher, they know. They know what your passion is, what your wonder is. That's why, brothers and sisters, we need to start by regaining our wonder of God again. That's where we begin. And we do that by going back to the cross and gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about the song we're about to sing, The Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When I think about that, I think about a Christian with his eyes closed, moving his hands across the wooden cross and thinking about his Savior who died for him. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, that's when my richest gain I count but loss. That's when I can pour contempt on all my pride. The wonder of the cross needs to come back to us. My brothers and sisters, we need to regain this. If we don't have this, no strategy will help your kids. See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. 
Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, where thorns compose so rich a crown? Did you lose your wonder in that? Did you lose your passion and genuine love for Jesus Christ? Your gratitude for the gospel, your gratitude for the cross. You get that back, your kids will know it. And it will leave a lasting impression with a hot iron if you regain your wonder back. We could talk about everything else, but today, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, we need to get back our wonder of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and do that.